Hello, friends. We are interrupting Healing Hearts to remind you April is not just a month. It's a call to action. This month, we celebrate Volunteer Appreciation and Child Abuse Prevention Month, recognizing those who give their time and hearts to protect our most vulnerable. Every child deserves a life filled with love, safety, and normalcy. But sadly, not every child experiences this. That's where we, as a community, step in. Our amazing volunteers are the unsung heroes working tirelessly to advocate for children's well-being. They're the voices that speak up, the hands that reach out, and the hearts that care deeply. But the fight against child abuse needs much more than just appreciation. It needs action. This April, we invite you to participate in our efforts to protect children, provide them with the normalcy they deserve, and advocate for their rights. Visit www.speakupforkidspbc.org to find out what you can do to amplify the voices of our volunteer advocates. Remember to engage with us on social media. Participate and protect because every child deserves a champion and that champion could be you. Now back to Healing Hearts. Welcome to Healing Hearts, a podcast from Parents Speak Up for Kids. In keeping with the overall mission of 100% advocacy for the foster community, Healing Hearts covers topics of interest for foster children, foster parents, and those who advocate for both. We are your hosts, Sophia and Tanya. Well, today we would like to welcome Sam and Neva Quintana to Healing Hearts. Hello. 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 <laughs> Welcome, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. I'm going to start with having you share with the audience your background and kind of your journey into foster parenting. Well, our background goes uh, uh, way back. Um, we are originally from, I'm originally from Colorado, and I grew up there until almost 11 years ago when we came to Florida. Uh, but, you know, I had my own struggles in life and my own um, challenges growing up, which I think gave me a heart for the underdog, uh, people who needed advocating. I always saw myself as an advocate for people, even if it was just sticking up for people um, in my immediate vicinity, kind of sticking my neck out, probably where I, it didn't belong. And I tend to get myself into trouble um, I'm realizing as I speak that I'm describing my granddaughter. Um, <laughs> I wonder where she got it from. But it, it really did develop me into a person who wanted to fight for other people and to make sure that people were being treated well. And I have just been, you know, growing in that capacity ever since. Um, meeting Sam came much later in my life after I was divorced and had three children. But I think the, it wasn't just the stars that aligned. It was really our mission and our calling from God that aligned. So, And, um, and I'm also from Colorado. Uh, and we came out to Florida in 2012. And so our journey just kind of started there, here. And um, just really through the years, um, looking for positions, I think, and titles um, within ministry. And so uh, my wife and I, as we... God ordained in ministry, uh, we started to pursue 
um, pastoralship. And um, we kind of hit, you know, dead ends here and there and through the years. And um, my heart has always been really for the disenfranchised and uh, the inner city. Um, I always was geared to, you know, in the past doing gang prevention. Um, I, I did a little bit of that. And um, so through the years, um, just looking for our, our calling out here in Florida. And, you know, during COVID is kind of when the opportunity presented itself. And we found out about a certain organization that um, did fostering. And so we got um, on board with it and, and started to pursue it. So but and I, I'm going to backtrack just a little bit, because even before that, when I said like the stars aligned, our missions aligned, our hearts aligned, uh, we really just had that advocate heart. And he said the disenfranchised and marginalized communities, that's really where we connected, I think, the most initially. But soon after we got married, we informally adopted three teenage kids that were in the foster care system. And they became a permanent part of our family. And we immediately went from a family of uh, five to a family of eight. And uh, that was a lot of, of ups and downs and roller coasters and things that we could have never have anticipated. But even seeing now how uh, that has all been training in leading up to what we do. And then there were other times where being those advocates and those uh, that source uh, resource rather for families. We took in a friend of ours, uh, three children while she went to a year program because she was struggling with addiction and really genuinely she, she wouldn't have gone into that program had she not had somewhere safe to leave her children. And we couldn't see her not doing the program because it was a matter of life and death and a matter of these children having a mom or not having a mom. But we did it then out of our own pocket. And we, it was difficult. It was challenging. Uh, we really had limited um, income ourselves, but God made it possible. He always provided, he always made a way. And those kids are so grown now. They're 18 and 17 and 15. It, it's just incredible because they were just, they were very little when they first came. So we've always been doing this. This is just really what we wanted to do. But when the uh, opportunity presented itself, to do it in this capacity, it just made perfect sense. Awesome. Yeah, you guys, for me, embody like the the whole idea of heartfelt advocacy because everything you do, like as long as I've known you, has been for kids and just for people in general. So it's just, you guys are inspirational and, and admirable. Thank, thank, you. thank you. And it, it no longer um, was about, uh, like my husband said, titles. Um, or positions. It was no longer about being pastor. Um, it was about being uh, a minister. It was about genuinely having those opportunities to uh, just pour in and, and disciple in whatever capacity God wanted us to. And we, we understood that it didn't have to happen in the walls of a church, that it could actually happen in the walls of our home. Excellent. So, I wanted to ask currently how many children, if you want to say, are placed with you and like, can you give us like a normal day in your life? Like, how would that look? So, so we have currently um, six girls. Um, it usually fluctuates. Um, you know, sometimes we uh, have a girl who gets um, placed back into care with their family member or they could, they could possibly get adopted. But 
typically we stay with six girls in our home. We also have our own daughter um, in the home as well. And um, typically kind of how a day looks for us. Like when, once we, uh, you know, like first thing in the morning, my wife gets up, um, she gets our high schoolers off to school um, and then she comes back to bed. And then, <laughs> uh, and then after that, um, I get up and I get our, our daughter up and get her ready. Our other girls are pretty responsible, our middle schoolers, and um, they get themselves up and they get ready. And then my wife actually gets up again. We have a couple other middle schoolers. She gets up. We have two bathrooms for six girls, essentially. So at that point, there's about four girls left in the house. And so in order to um, we have to stagger the times for them getting ready and stuff. So at that point, they all start getting ready and then we start kind of getting them out the door, you know, I'll jump in the car, I take one to a bus stop, and then I take my daughter to school. And then um, from then, I come back to the house and I take the other three girls to the bus stop. And then we come home and we get a little bit of peace and quiet until um, around, I don't know, about three o'clock. So then we start picking up kids. So yeah, and we have currently we have uh, three 15 year olds, a 14 year old, a 12 year old, and then of course, our nine year old daughter. So between the seven of them, we have four different schools that they go to. Thank God for transportation provided yeah. by the schools, because really getting them to the bus stop is the extent uh, for us. And uh, like he said, it's a it's a pretty quiet day unless there is an emergency or we're called to the school. A child gets sick. Uh, we're on call technically, but we also have the ability to kind of uh, just get caught up with things around the house or our own personal lives. I get to go to the gym, uh, things like that. And self-care is so important with what we do. We we take that time pretty seriously, but sometimes those days get jam-packed with uh, necessary uh, items that can't be put off. And then there's also um, different aspects of the morning that we may have to do some type of uh, case management type stuff like there's a lot of paperwork that goes into what we do um, we have to have a lot of documentation for dcf so um for the department of children and families and so there's a lot of that that will transpire in the mornings and and getting our paperwork done um, but then after our girls get home there's i call that dinner rush yeah it's, it's dinner rush right so our girls start coming in about 3 15 from high school and then after that 4 30 from middle school and um and then that's kind of when their tutoring starts. They have some of the girls have therapy. Um, each one of them have quite a few people that come along with them from the system. On so, their case, yeah. yeah. On their case. So they have, you know, they have guardian ad items, they have lawyers, they have therapists, um, you know, and that's each girl. So um, at that point, that's kind of when a lot of the appointments will start taking place. We have a lot of um, correspondence with different people that want to come and talk to the girls from their caseload. So there's a lot of that in the evening times. And then you feed them and make sure they've got all their homework done. Yeah, a lot of so homework. They, they, have, they need help with their homework. And then there's the drama. So you have to hear about the day's drama from school and the she did that and she said this and can you believe it? And my head kind of goes and I'm like, you first, you did. And then and so and we just, you know, it's, it's just a lot that goes on. That's like called dinner rush. And then we get through homework, showers, chores bedtime do it all again tomorrow yeah it's very very full absolutely can you guys share like when a child is first comes to your home they're first placed in care um how do you get them acclimated to being in this whole new environment 
And how do you prepare your existing children for, you know, someone new coming in and the change of dynamic that that, that presents? So because we have an all girl house, I kind of take the lead on that. Um, my, my husband will kind of take a step back because we don't know what kind of traumas that the young lady is coming to us with. And so he's not going to come on strong and be the first face that she sees as she gets there. Obviously he's there to be introduced, but I kind of head that up because there's, it's, it's just as awkward for them as it, it, I mean, for me, as it is for them. Like it's, it's really not easy for me because my nerves kind of get all over the place and you, I don't know what to, what to expect. They don't know what to expect. We're literally meeting each other for the very first time. And so it can be overwhelming for everybody, including the other girls. So thank you for asking about them because there is an effect that happens on the girls that are already with us. Every single time a girl is added, the potential to change the dynamic of our home happens. And we only want it to change in a positive way. We don't ever want it to be where somebody comes in and um, threatens the culture of our home and the uh, just really the, the vibe of what we have going. And we have a very good vibe. Our kids are happy, they're safe, they're comfortable. And uh, we don't want anyone jeopardizing that for anybody. So we do prepare them and I rem we remind them that, hey, we established the norms of our home. They're coming to acclimate to our environment. We will not switch up and adopt behaviors that are outside of our norms and our expectations and standards for our house. So it's up to all of you to kind of take the lead and show them what that looks like and be good examples. Um, and I remind them that to, rec to remember how it was when they got here and how scared they were or nervous. And I always remind them, regardless of who they are and how they come in, because we all have our quirks and our idiosyncrasies and things that can either make us very attractive or maybe annoying that everybody needs love. And so our job is to love every child that comes through our doors. And so we have that same standard for our kids as well. But it's really cool because, um, because of our girls being bought into the culture of our home and mm -hmm. um, they're very adamant also about, you know, seeing things through as well with the new girls that come in. They want to establish with them. They let them know and they, they have conversations and they say, well, you know, watch out for this. And, you know, this is how they do this and this is how we do that. So um, there's there's a, a level of responsibility on them as well, where they're definitely bought in. And um, it also gives them some power in the whole thing as well. And and they get to make the other girls feel comfortable as well. Excellent. I mean, it's it's family. That's yeah. how, that's what family is. And that's what you're you've created. So. And it does help the other girls um, feel comfortable as well when they do come in because they get to hear from the girls who are already here um, how we roll and how we love them. So they get to see that as well. So it's really cool. And in an application um, aspect, what it looks like is that when they get here, they have all of their stuff. And so we show them where their room is. I, I'll take them to their room. I'll let them, I'll acknowledge and affirm that they must be nervous. I let them know that I'm nervous too, and that it's okay. And that we can go slowly through the process. Um, they're usually pretty um, 
surprised by the home we live in because the organization that we do work for provides a very nice home. And so they're a little like in awe of where they're at. And it's kind of cool in that regard. Uh, and then I just give them a tour of the house and show them the amenities and like what they have to expect. And like we have a group room where they can hang out in. We have a back patio that they hang out in. Um, I let them know right off the bat what our expectations for technology and cell phones are because that's something that has to get squared away immediately. Uh, let's just rip that bandage off quickly and address it and then, you know, keep it moving. But that's really what it looks like when someone gets here. I let them know that I'm a hugger, but that I won't hug them unless they would like a hug or need a hug. And and so I, I do put that out there because I, I just want to swoop them up and hug them, but I know better than to do that. I love, first of all, I love your transparency. I love the authenticity. And I love that you take into account what the child might be going through and the fact that you're you admit to them hey I'm, I'm nervous too this is this is new to all of us so I I appreciate that today children in general but foster involved children specifically can be exposed to wide-ranging trauma so we wanted to know understanding that each child is unique how do you go about catering to the emotional and mental needs of the children is it just the therapy is it something else like how does it go especially in your home um so obviously you know for us it's it's really for us personally we try to make the girls feel real comfortable um we we have a lot of conversations to the side and we let them know that we're here for them um most of the girls are are pretty comfortable talking to my wife and and sharing things with her and and um and so they they bounce a lot of things off of her um, when they first come in. Um, there's the aspect of of therapy, so we we definitely encourage them to to do therapy, you know, based on their traumas. And and realistically, every single girl that and every kid that comes into foster care is is they've all been through some type of trauma. Just being displaced in general is a, a trauma in itself. So there's just always going to be that level where we're like, hey, you know, you need to to think about speaking to somebody and and they're usually pretty open to it for the most part, but there are times where they're not necessarily too open to it. It takes them a long time to, to talk to somebody, but luckily, like I said, my wife is very skilled and trained in therapeutic situations. So she's able to really navigate a lot of stuff with the girls. And every child is just so different and their yeah. experience is different. Their traumas are different. And so being transparent with them, um, being authentic and then keeping being a person who keeps their word is incredibly important. So it, it takes time. It's not an immediate thing necessarily, but when a child sees you keep your word over and over and over and over, then they come to understand and believe that they can trust you and that they can rely on you. And so I had mentioned before that my husband kind of takes a step back. That is him stepping forward is gradual and it's on a case by case scenario and how the young lady will kind of um, demonstrate what she's ready for. And so he kind of eases into the situation, but over time, again, because his yes is yes and his no is no, and he keeps his word, they can begin to see how they can trust him too. And then before you know it, uh, they bounce stuff off of him He's a safe, trusted place. 
when it gets personal, I'm always the one that gets it, but it's, it's just a safe place for them to open up and share. And I know that that's not everybody, everybody's experience. And it hasn't always been that way with every girl that's come into our home. We've been very fortunate that it has been the majority. And I think also for our audience, people who are potentially wanting to become foster parents, if they're in a couple scenario, it's important to hear this, to hear how they can go about starting this new process for themselves. And I think what you're saying also is that trust is key and it's one of the best ways to make them feel comfortable. It's the foundation. You cannot do, um, you, it, you just can't build anything without a foundation. And uh, we know that through scripture and, um, and life experience and trust is the foundation for these relationships. And trust is something that is a missing component in their lives across the board, because in some cases, in many cases, the people that they were supposed to trust the most or the people in charge of taking care of them are the ones that have actually caused them the most pain. Thank you for tuning in today for part one with our guests, Neva and Sam Quintana. The second half of this discussion will air in two weeks, so remember to tune in. New episodes of Healing Hearts premiere every two weeks, so follow us on Spotify and Apple Music. For more information about Parents Big Up for Kids, to submit a show idea or questions, or to appear as a guest, email parents at speakupforkidspbc.org. Until next time, remember the heart is like a garden, and it needs tending to heal and grow. You've been listening to Healing Hearts.